You're listening to the Food Heals Podcast. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately. All right, welcome Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining me. I'm Allison Melody. What if there was a way to allow old, sick, injured, and terrified animals to fully recover using a mixture of Western medicine, holistic healing modalities, holding therapy, and lots of love? That's what today's guest invented with her gentle healing method. That's right, it's Ellie Lacks, the founder of the Gentle Barn Foundation. Ellie founded the Gentle Barn in 1999, and it is currently home to about 200 animals. It's got three locations in Los Angeles, Nashville, and St. Louis. And yes, I am going to the Nashville one next weekend, so I will report back. It is Ellie's goal to be the voice for animals, share their stories, and open the hearts of humanity towards all living beings. And her goal is to teach people kindness and compassion to animals, each other, and our planet. Roll it, Roxy. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. She is the founder of the Gentle Barn Foundation. Please welcome Ellie Lax to the show. Welcome, Ellie. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to have you. We've already had a great pre-chat, so I know this is going to be an amazing conversation with two like-minded souls. So your book is called My Gentle Barn, Creating a Sanctuary Where Animals Heal and Children Learn to Hope. And I love that title, and I feel like it says a lot about you and who you are. But I would love if you could take me back to your origin story, where did your passion for animals begin? <laughs> um, it began at five years old, which is actually the opening scene of my book, mm -hmm. where I was in temple with my parents and I was bored to tears. I was told to be quiet and hold still. And uh, I don't know any five-year-old that's capable of doing any of those things. Um, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, unable to do it anymore, I said I was going to the bathroom and went downstairs. And instead of going to the bathroom, I disappeared out the back door of the temple, which led to a big abandoned field. And I was crawling around on my knees and watching grasshoppers and looking at the flowers and the clouds float by and I eventually rolled onto my back and was watching the clouds. And all of a sudden I realized that the sky was absolutely full of monarch butterflies. And I guess that field was on the migration route of the butterfly at that time. There were mm. thousands of them. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And all of a sudden I found myself being capable of holding still and being quiet. I was afraid to breathe because I didn't want them to go away. And I wow. held so still and eventually they started landing on me one after the other after the other until I was completely covered in butterflies. Mm. And I felt part of them. I felt seen by them. I felt beckoned to be part of them. I felt part of this natural world and it was intoxicating and it was oxygen to me and I needed more of it. Mm. And I'll never forget that feeling. I mean, this is 50 years later, and I feel it in my body and my soul like it was yesterday. And there was something wow. that happened that day. I mean, I had always loved animals. When I was three years old, I would toddle out to the backyard barefoot and play with the wild bunnies. I had a dog at the age of four who became my best friend. 
I was always in love with animals and nature, but there was something about being blanketed by those monarch butterflies and being part of them that instilled a desire in me to spend the rest of my life protecting nature, being their voice and doing everything in my power to show other people what I saw in them and what I'm feeling and how important it is that we acknowledge them, that they're on this planet too. We have to protect them. Well, what a beautiful visual. It sounds like a movie. I know it's the opening of your book and I can imagine reading that and feeling all the feelings. And so there you are making those connections to the earth, to the animals, um, and realizing like, you know what, I can sit still, but it has to be in a different way. So what happened when you went back and you told your family, Hey, I had this experience Were they receptive or was it like, okay, kid moving on? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think I got poo pooed like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that's, I mean, that started a love affair with nature and animals that has lasted to this very day and will last until my last breath. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, and it awoken something in me to pay more attention to animals who were paying attention to me. So the next scene in this movie would be when I was seven years old. And by that time, I had not only fallen in love with animals, but I had also kind of seen the harsh reality of humanity. I had seen bullying at school. I had seen really cruel treatment of animals in the community. And by the time I was seven, I kind of had had enough and said, like, you know, I want to, I don't want to be here anymore. And I actually tried to commit suicide at the age of seven. And it was, and it obviously failed. And very frustrated with that failing attempt, I went to the garden, which was my only sanctuary, to cry. And a hummingbird flew within inches of my face and hovered there for, I mean, it must have only been a few minutes, but it felt like hours. And this peaceful feeling came over me, like the hummingbird was saying, no, no, you have to stay, but everything's going to be okay. And so that was the second time where nature reached out to me and and included me in their goings on. Um, And so it made the craving to protect and love nature even stronger in me. And I think um, shortly after, I would tell anyone that would listen that when I grew up, I was going to have a big place full of animals and show the world how beautiful they are. Oh, and that's just what you did. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a while, but I did. (laughs) All right. So yes, continue through that journey. I know that you then went vegetarian at age 11. So what prompted that switch? Yeah. So um, then I, I was spending every single waking moment Um, in the woods, in the lakes, with the wild creatures. Those were my friends. That was my community. And at 11 years old, I was at my school. And uh, for whatever reason, they had a chicken at the school. And they had her in a carrion case in the corner of the auditorium. And all the kids were running around. I guess it must have been recess. All the kids were running around, shouting, yelling, laughing, playing, running. And I immediately zeroed in on that little chicken and saw her absolutely terrified. She was shaking and trembling. And I was the only one out of hundreds of students that even noticed she was there. And I crossed the auditorium and I bent down and I opened the the door of the crate and I pulled her out into my arms. And I was telling her, it's okay. You're not alone. I'm here. I'm so sorry you're scared. And I kept talking to her soothingly until she finally relaxed in my arms and stopped shaking. And moments later, the principal came in and said, stop petting the chicken. She's got to go to the slaughterhouse. And she yanked her out of my arms and whisked her out of the school. And I was standing there in my little yellow, my little 11-year-old brain trying to figure out what is she talking about? 
And that's when it hit me like a punch in the face. Oh my God, that's chicken and rice. Right, right. Like I thought that was a coincidence that was the same word. And I was absolutely sick to my stomach and horrified. And I went home that night and I told my family I would never eat animals again. And mm-hmm. they said, well, that's nice, dear. Eat your soup. And mm-hmm. I said, well, didn't you, tell, didn't you hear me? I'm not going to eat animals again. They're like, well, it's not an animal. It's just soup. And I said, it's chicken soup. I'm not going to eat it anymore. And then my parents um, realized I was serious. And they were, oh, my God, you're going to die. You're not going to grow. You're going to be sickly. And I said, I would rather die than ever harm an animal ever, ever now that I know. And yeah, I yeah. and I stuck to my guns, and um, here I am, at the age of fifty five, and I made it. Didn't die. <laughs> I'm very yes, healthy. Yes. <laughs> Healthier than most, I would guess. Healthier would than my... most, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> After doing over four hundred shows, I would say most people that I know that eat more veggies than animals live a lot longer, a lot healthier. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I have a similar upbringing. I grew up in a house basically in the woods. There was a lake in front of my house, a waterfall from the lake to a creek next to my house and a creek behind my house. I lived literally in the woods. Now it was still a neighborhood, but it just was not developed. And so I brought turtles home and I thought they were my pets and we always had cats and dogs running around. And I remember at one point, I think I was in middle school and someone said to me, well, well, sorry, I don't love animals as much as you do. And I was like, everyone loves animals. What do you mean? Yeah. Like, I was like, I was kind of teased for my love of animals. and I didn't really get it. I still don't get it to this day. I'm going to be honest. Like, you know, that 12 year old me is still in here. Like, what, what was that? Why don't you love animals? What's wrong with you? Um, but, uh, I told my parents, we watched a video and they would never show this on the news today, but it was on the news. And it was the total mistreatment of cows in, um, a factory farm. Mm -hmm. And I cannot believe they showed it on the news, but they did. And it was absolutely horrifying. And I won't get into graphic detail, but essentially I went home. We were at my friend's beach house and I went home and I said, and it was hamburger meat. I said, dad, I will never eat hamburger meat again. Cause I hadn't made the connection either at that time. I didn't make the connection to the chickens yet. And my father was just like, well, we meet, we eat meat in this house. So, okay, you'll figure it out. My mom was like, I'll make her veggie stir fry. And I ate veggie stir fry until, I mean, I still eat it. Like I haven't stopped. Like uh, back when that happened, I started on veggie stir fry and never went back to red meat. And then when I was older, got rid of the other meats as well. So I can relate to this a lot. And I think a lot of people who, when it hits early, you just cannot change. You cannot, your cells of your body won't allow you to change. Um, I know I've interviewed Milo Runkle as well, and his story is so similar to yours from Mercy for Animals, um, where a baby piglet was killed at his school and they tried to save it and it was horrible. And he said, I'll never eat meat again and found the organization Mercy for Animals after witnessing that. So I think this happens to a lot of people and we just form these beliefs and this love for animals. And we realize, you know, on this show, I say food heals, but what I realize is love heals. So me loving an animal, an animal loving me, that can heal a childhood wound that can heal a trauma. And I know that that's something that you're into too at the gentle barn. And I'm sure we'll get to that, but continue to take me through. So you, you have all this compassion and you have all these dreams and you're 20, you become vegan at 24. Take me through the next part of that journey. Um, so I, I had this dream since I was seven years old, wanting to, um, 
wanting to have a big place full of animals and show the world how beautiful they are, but I had absolutely no idea how to do it. And so I procrastinated Mm -hmm. for a really, really long time, having the dream in the back of my mind, but still having no clue how to start it. And Mm -hmm. I became a young adult living in, in Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley in a little house with a half acre backyard. And I was doing dog and cat rescue from the local shelters and um, doing an errand one day, I was driving down the street and I saw a petting zoo I had never seen before. And it's, it was full of people, but it smelled really, really funky. Like my windows were rolled down because it was a warm day. That smell wafted in my window. I could see that it was crowded with people and I just succumbed to the <laughs> being nosy and I had yeah. to park and go in and see what was going on in there. And when I got in, um, it was such a disturbing scene because the goats and sheep had toenails that were grossly overgrown and deformed legs. There were dead animals in cages. They were beating the ponies to go round and round in circles without breaks. It was just awful. And I think the Ugh. worst part of it, the most stunningly worst part of it, is that all the humans were skipping around, holding hands, big bright smiles on their faces, taking pictures, posing their kids on these dilapidated animals. And not one single person could see the suffering in front of them. And this is so disturbing. <laughs> it was so disturbing. And I remember looking around into the faces of the hundreds of people that were there, trying to search for even one person that could see what I was seeing. And not yeah. one of them had a reaction other than, oh, this is so fun. Um, and it just made me absolutely sick to my stomach. And I said, I got to get out of here as fast as I can. And so I ran for the door. And blocking the exit was a very, very old goat that looked like she was about to drop dead any second. Um, She was in terrible physical shape. And she locked eyes on me. She stopped me in my tracks and she asked me for help. And I looked back at her and I said, yes, I can help you. I have a half acre backyard. I can bring you home with me. And I went to find the owner and asked her if I can have the goat. And she said, no. And I said, well, can I buy her? Name your price. And she said, oh, lady, leave me alone. And I said, well, yeah. And I said, well, that goat just asked me for help. And I said, yes. And so I'm going to stay here till you let me have her. And I stayed there for 12 days. Oh, my God. And on the 13th day. Yeah. And on the 13th day, she finally said, take the goat and get out of here. And I brought Okay, Mary What do you home mean you stayed? Got a, you got a t- – sorry. I just want to refer – what do you mean you stayed? You never <laughs> left the property? <laughs> I The place opened at 6 a.m. and it closed at 6 p.m. So at 6 a.m. I was in line and I said, hey, I'm here for Mary. And they said, you can't have her. And I said, okay. And I paid my admission and I went in and I smuggled in food and water um, in wow. my bag. And I sat uh-huh. next to Mary for those 12 hours and I fed her and I read to her and I sang to her and I gave her water and I stroked her. And I told her, don't worry, I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to get you out of here. And then at closing time, 12 hours later, I would say, um, hey, can I have Mary? And they'd say no. And I'd say, okay, see you tomorrow. And it was oh, very- I love this so much. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very quiet and very peaceful. I wasn't angry about it. I wasn't belligerent about it. I wasn't accusatory. I was just very kind and peaceful and patient, um, but nevertheless, not going away. And finally, the lady just let me have her. Wow. I love that. And I think your approach was so right because if you had gone in guns blazing, you'll get kicked out and then you can't help anyone. You know, I have to tell you that going in guns blazing has never been our approach. And Mm -hmm. 
I think that over the course of the last 24 year history of the gentle barn, we have enabled, we have been able to do extraordinary things and rescue animals from extraordinary places because of our approach. I think if you're going to go in with hostility, doors are going to shut. But if you go in with common ground, you go in with being kind, then doors magically open. And we have pulled animals out of veal crates. We've pulled animals out of slaughterhouses, stockyards, auction houses, backyard butchers. Um, because if you start with kindness, things end up working out a lot of the time. Yeah. I love that. And I agree with you and I love your gentle approach. I know my approach has been generally gentle as well when it comes to this show, because I realized very early on, um, on this food heals journey that not everyone wanted to hear what it was that I had to say. And so I have to speak to those who do, and I have to be gentle because I have to come from the place, Hey, I was where you were. I am where you are. So we can do this together. It's possible for anyone to do this. And what I mean by that is get healthy, right? Whatever, whatever that means to you. Um, And so I love that approach. Okay. So you take her home and then what happens then? Cause you're (laughs) like, okay, now, now I got to do something now. Now this farm has started. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I brought Mary home and a mobile vet came out and showed me how to massage her front legs uh, so she could walk again, taught me how to remove her tumors and um, wow. it helped heal her and then taught me how to take care of her. And meanwhile, I was calling the authorities on this place saying like, please help them be kinder to the animals. And I told them all that I had seen that day and every single one, SPCA, animal reg, animal control, the humane society, they all said, we know about her. She's connected politically. Just walk away. Oh my God. Um, but walking away, uh, is not in my nature. <laughs> So I found myself back there and I said, look, I know that you have other animals that are suffering. No questions asked. I will take them off your hands. And she said, okay, wait right here. And she went in the back and she started dragging animals out of the back. Um, She dragged a little miniature horse that was probably the angriest animal I've ever met in my life. Um, Goats and sheep that were so terrified they were physically shaking um, pigs, chickens. Um, she just gave me this huge pile of animals and I brought them home and the vet came out and helped me heal them one by one. And, um, a few weeks later I woke up in the morning, I walked through my living room, looked out the picture window at my backyard that was now full of animals. And I said, Holy cow, I just started my dream. Yeah, you sure did. Yeah. Um, and then, um, I realized, well, I've got to share these animals with people. There's a difference. There's something special about the gentle barn. A lot of sanctuaries, and it's very important work, but a lot of sanctuaries, um, their mission is to rescue as many animals as possible. And I, and I commend them. I, you know, someone who has 3,000 acres and they can bring in 3,000 animals and it's amazing, right? Yeah. But for me, I think we can buy up the entire United States and still not have enough land if we continue torturing animals the way that we're doing. Um, I wanted to change the hearts of humanity. Um, So I want to rescue animals, but in rescuing animals, share their stories and allow millions and millions of people to come in and meet these animals and have heart experiences with them, hug the cows, give the pigs tummy rubs, cuddle the turkeys, hold the chickens, look in their eyes, hear their stories of resilience, and understand that we're all fundamentally the same. And by changing the hearts of humanity, by virtue of every heart that opens, 
I'm actually saving animals through them because they say that every person that goes vegan saves 200 animals a year. Yeah, yeah. So immediately when I realized I had started my dream, I realized that the next thing I had to do is get people to come out. And so mm-hmm. um, we opened our doors and we started our programs, which still exist today, which is we're open to the public on Sundays where people can come and interact with the animals. And then during the week, we host private tours, school field trips, birthday parties, um, and cow hug therapy sessions and healing programs for people to come and heal among the animals. And when I first started the Gentle Barn, we had a group of volunteers that came out and one of them came over to me and said, um, are you vegan? And I said, no, I'm American. <laughs> yep. That's, <amazing>. <laughs> That's what happened. It wasn't a buzzword yet. I get it. It wasn't. Um, and so, you know, he laughed and then he said, no, do you eat animals? And I very proudly told him that I had stopped eating animals when I was 11. And he said, yeah, but what about like milk and eggs and honey? And I said, oh, well, well, that's not hurting anybody. And he opened my eyes to what happens Mm. behind the dairy industries and the egg industries and the honey industries. And I went vegan on the spot. That was 24 years late. That was 24 years ago. Wow. Yep. I mean, I think that's what happens for a lot of us is we don't make that connection. Now it's much easier, but back then that wasn't as much talked about. And so I'm, I, I, I can totally see that happening. We're like, no, I'm from America. What's vegan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's just wonderful because over the course of 24 years, I went from not even knowing what he was asking me to now vegan is a household word. It's in every restaurant, fast food restaurants. I mean, it's so easy and it's so wonderful to see the world changing. When I went vegan, it was 0.5% of um, the population in America. And now we're at 7%. Wow, that's great. Yeah. That's incredible. So it's exciting to see the world change and it's exciting. Um, you know, it's just really exciting to lay down at bed at night and know that no one suffered or died for me to live. Yes, exactly. Um, so you have multiple locations and two of them, I mean, I need to come visit you soon because I lived in LA for 15 years and now I'm in Nashville and those are two of your locations. So tell me about the locations and how anyone listening could come and make a visit to the Gentle Barn. So I opened the Gentle Barn way before there was social media. And so the only way at the time I knew how to reach every person in America was to open sanctuaries in every single state. And so it was always Mm -hmm. our goal to be national And eight years ago, we did an extraordinary rescue of a cow named Dudley who had lost a foot and we saved him from slaughter. We got him his necessary amputations and surgeries. um, And then we fit him with a prosthetic foot and he helped us open the second gentle barn in Tennessee. And yes, we are, we are now located in Nashville, Tennessee. It's beautiful, beautiful property and the animals are extraordinary. And then six years ago, there were a group of cows that escaped a slaughterhouse in St. Louis and were running through the streets. It was big national news. Uh, I remember, yeah. Yeah. Um, At the end of the day, unfortunately, they were rounded up and sent back to the slaughterhouse. But by then, the community wanted them to live, and they were calling the slaughterhouse. And there was a small group of the community that opened a GoFundMe to raise their freedom money and convince the slaughterhouse to allow them to go to a sanctuary. And so we're watching this from California in the news, just like the rest of the country. And we thought like, oh, great, happy ending. Everything's going to work out fine. But four days went by and nobody came and got them. And so finally, the slaughterhouse owner was like, that's it. I'm not going to wait anymore. I'm going to process them tomorrow morning. 
Oh my God. And our phone blew up and everyone was like, you got to help them live. You got to help them. And so co-founder of the gentle barn and my husband, Jay Weiner got on a plane, flew through the night, got there in time to stop their slaughter, used the freedom money to um, get them out of the slaughterhouse, brought them to a hospital to be treated for their various injuries and wounds, brought them to a foster home to hold them until we figured out what next steps were. And um, to make a very long story short, we ended up um, getting a property and opening a gentle barn for them. And so now we're located in St. Louis, Missouri as well. I wish that you could see my arm right now because I have all the chills, the goosebumps. As soon as you said you rescued, your husband went and rescued them. I was like, oh my God, like this is a movie. Like I'm so happy they're getting their happy ending. So I love all of these stories and thank you so much for the work that you do. And so if I'm in Nashville or LA or St. Louis, what can I do? How can I come visit? How do I make an appointment? Yeah, it's super easy. All you have to do is go to gentlebarn.org and go to the visit page and you can get tickets to come on a Sunday. You can book a private tour. You can book a cow hug therapy session or a field trip. It is so wonderful. You are going to love it. I'm so excited. Okay. I'm on my way. Um, And so (laughs) Tell me about some of the programs. Like I know you're the founder of the cow hug therapy, and I know that you believe in, you know, the therapeutic healing properties of animals and children interacting. So tell me about some of the programs and why you created them. So when I was a kid, um, there was a lot of challenges growing up. There was, you know, some abuse going on in my childhood. There was a lot of loneliness, a lot of insecurities, and it was always animals that I ran to to cry. It was always animals that I played with. It was always animals that mirrored back to me that I was useful, valuable, and worthy. Yeah. So I knew firsthand the healing properties of animals. And um, so the longer version of my seven-year-old dream was not just to open a big place full of animals and show the world how beautiful they were, but also so that all the lonely people of the world could come and heal with us. And mm-hmm. so it was always part of the original design to open up our doors and allow people to come and heal with these incredible animal ambassadors that have so much to offer us. Um, and so when I started the gentle barn in my little half acre backyard, it was really my first cow Buddha, who is technically the founder of cow hug therapy. She, um, she was extraordinary right from the start. Um, but it was very soon after I rescued her that in the evenings I would sit down next to her lean my back against her shoulder and just kind of just process the day with her. And she would wrap her neck around me and hold me for hours. And sometimes I would cry onto her shoulder. Other times I would just talk out loud with questions and things that I was trying to work through, but she was my best, best friend. And I would always go to her and those nightly hugs turned into a ritual where she became Mm -hmm. my therapist. She became my mommy. She became the one that I went to, that I turned to, and that was always there to support me. She taught me how to meditate. She hosted every single solitary tour with me. She hosted every single Sunday with me for 13 and a half years. She gave out 300,000 hugs in her lifetime. And the rule at the gentle barn became, the only rule at the gentle barn was you have to hug a cow. So no matter if it was people visiting on a Sunday or someone coming for a private tour or even kids coming from a probation camp or a drug and alcohol rehab center, everybody had to hug Buddha. And the most miraculous thing that I'll never forget um, is how, I mean, we, we worked with kids in gangs, kids on drugs, you know, we had war veterans. We had some, some, some 
really tough cookies that came to the gentle barn. And they were stone-faced and defensive and crossed-armed and wouldn't look at me and didn't want to pet the animals because they were trying to appear cool to everybody else. And Buddha and I kind of worked out a way of patiently encouraging them to hug her. And their faces resting on her shoulder, closing their eyes, I could see their stone cold faces literally melt in front of me and turn into children. And she would just crack them wide open. And for the rest of the time that they were at our facility, they were open, they were warm, they were vulnerable, they were sweet and humble. And that's where healing starts. Healing starts when we're open, vulnerable, and humble. So she allowed these kids to open enough that they then could succeed in their talking therapy or succeed in their programs. That is so beautiful. And I think it's like, sometimes we just need that crack, that, that moment of vulnerability, and then we will allow ourselves. But I've been that cross-armed person that's like, not today. You will not heal me today. I am proud and keeping my anger. I need this feeling, you know, no one's going to crack this. And then you let in the crack or you let somebody in and it opens the floodgates and it allows you the healing space that you haven't been able to allow yourself. So what a beautiful idea. I Um, agree. And then when the pandemic hit, we shut down. And while we were shut down, we got comments on social media. We got emails. We got people saying, oh my God, when are you going to reopen? I need you. I need those cows. I need those animals. I'm struggling with this or that. And so when we reopened after the pandemic, we resolved not to just give our programs to, you know, children in foster care or special needs classes or living in the inner city, but we were going to extol our therapeutic programs to individuals. And so we opened our cow hug therapy, barnyard therapy, and horse therapy to individuals. And what it is now, it's an hour session that people can book and they have um, the cows to themselves. And um, we've had people that have lost children. We've had children who've lost parents. We've had people that have lost loved ones. We've had um, people coming in who are terminally ill. We've had people that have suffered terrible, terrible trauma. And talking therapy just won't do it because there are circumstances where there are no words. You're just in pain. And there's something about putting your face on these cows and resting up against these gentle giants without words, without thought closing down your left brain, opening your right brain, opening up your heart, clearing your mind and your to-do list, immersing yourself in the present and just hearing their heartbeat and rising and falling with their breath and feeling small, helpless and vulnerable and feeling safe. And it does wonders. and we answered. We often talk about gut health for humans, but what about our furry friends? So one of the questions I got recently was how we can boost the immune system of our pets. So I brought my girl, Tina Anderson. She's friend of Food Heals and founder of Just Thrive to answer your questions. So Tina, how can we support our pet's gut health and why is that so important? Yeah, well, our pet's gut health is just as important as our gut health is to humans. So Um, And the thing that we're seeing is that dogs are experiencing a lot of digestive challenges like gas, loose stools, 
even like unusual bad breath and sleep troubles and itchy skin and all of that. So um, we formulated a probiotic for pets that is just for pets. And um, because we know that they are they are faced with all of the challenges that humans are faced with, if not more. In fact, you know, we see a lot of dogs having a lot of gastrointestinal issues and that's where their immune system is. Their immune system is found in their gut, just like humans, 70, 80% of the immune system and immune cells are found in the gut. So it's really important for dogs that we're taking care of the gut health, uh, their gut health. And, um, you know, there's pesticides in the food that they're eating um, and in the grass. Like think of all the Roundup that's sprayed on our lawns and at parks. The dogs are ingesting this and that Roundup, that glyphosate, that active ingredient in Roundup is wreaking havoc on our guts, on the guts of our pets. Um, and then there's the wheat, corn, soy, and all of those ingredients that are found in many commercial dog foods. And and then emotional stress, you know, like thunderstorm, being boarded up, all of those, you know, stressors are really starting to wreak havoc on a dog's gut microbiome. And um, so because dogs are experiencing leaky gut, just like humans, we actually did a leaky gut study on dogs. And we found that uh, we created a probiotic formulation. And the study showed that it was done by the University of Agriculture Sciences and Veterinary Medicine. And it basically showed that after taking these strains, um, they started to see, you know, reduction in leaky gut. They started seeing gastrointestinal issues were greatly reduced and just dogs all around feeling better. So, and and we've seen this with our customers, just seeing them, you know, be able to address a lot of the issues that, they're, that the dogs have been having, um, and primarily the digestive issues. This is incredible. Food Heals Nation, if that's not a compelling enough reason to go to justthrivehealth.com and get your dog, your cat, your pet some probiotics and get their immune system boosted, I don't know what is. Coupon code is foodheals 15 to get 15% off your order. Tina, thank you so much for breaking that down for us and helping us help our furry friends get healthy. You bet. Thank you. I grew up always having animals around, um, cats and dogs, not necessarily farmed animals, but when my mother passed away from cancer, my dad picked me up and he took me to a farm. He, he lied and said, we're going to the gym because I told him, I want to get healthy so we don't get cancer like mom. He's like, okay, we're going to the gym. And he passed the gym and he kept going, went to a farm and said, pick out your dog. And I got a little beagle named Charlotte. And that beagle healed my trauma in a way that talk therapy could never do. And I'm not saying it does not have benefits. Of course, there are times when you need that. But that my dog, Charlotte, was with me for 14 years. She was with me through the loss of my mother. Then later, when I lost my father also to cancer, mm. um, she went with me through my marriage and divorce. And there is no better trauma healer for me, speaking for myself, than a pet. And I also, now I have Lily. She's my second beagle. And I will never be without a dog. And I dog sit for one of my best friends here. And she has two dogs. And there's no better place to heal me than to be in a pile of dogs, either on my couch or in my bed. And I'm just holding them. They're holding me. We're all touching. I can feel them breathing. They're leaning on me or I'm leaning on them. That is when I heal. There is nothing 
better. And so I absolutely am going to book one of these barn healing sessions where I'm just hugging cows for an hour because that sounds to me like a dream. And they just love you so unconditionally and there's nothing else like it. I don't think there's a human love that translates the same way. You know, first of all, that is so beautiful. And I'm so, so happy that you had her when you needed her the most. That is such a beautiful Thanks. story. Um, and and I absolutely agree. They're here for us. They're angels. In my imagination, I always feel like, okay, yeah, you got to go down to this planet. You got to like, you know, have these experiences and learn these lessons. And some of them are going to be really, really, really hard. But you'll always be surrounded by angels. And those are our animals. And not yeah. just dogs and cats, but cows and pigs and chickens and turkeys. They're all angels. And if we could only just learn to see them for who they are. Yeah. And I think there is a dis disconnect. And I don't know why, because I don't have it and you don't have it. But people do between, you know, thinking that cows and pigs are different from cats and dogs. And, you know... Um, pigs have the intelligence of a three to four year old child. A dog doesn't even have that. So we have these intelligent, loving, beautiful beings, horses to, you know, all of these beautiful animals. And I don't know why some we allow to become domesticated and others we see as food. And that's really not my area. You're welcome to comment if you want to. But how do you even share that with people? Okay. I'm vegan and I don't eat animals because I love animals and I don't want to hurt them. But also I've seen amazing health benefits from this. So I would love for you to talk to me a little bit about um, the health benefits you've seen and how this type of diet helped you when you were pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I became vegetarian and then vegan for the love of animals. And I was young, so I took my health for granted. So, you know, it wasn't about health for me. Um, but as I got older, now the health benefits um, are really important to me because I'm older and I want to do this work for many more decades. I need a lot of energy. I need to wake up early in the morning. I need to keep going until late at night. Um, and I need to be healthy. Uh, I don't want to take any sick time off. So now the health benefits are really important to me. But um, there was something that happened when I was pregnant with my daughter, who's now 17 years old. But when I was pregnant with her 17 years ago, um, the doctor told me that I was anemic and that I wasn't going to have a successful pregnancy or birth if I didn't take her beef blood pills. Mm -hmm. um, and I politely told her, look, I'm vegan. I'm not going to take those. And she needed to lecture me on all the millions of reasons why I had to take them and the damage to my baby and the damage to my pregnancy if I didn't. And I said, look, I happen to believe that everything that we need is in the garden. So if you're telling me I need more iron, I don't need to take it from an animal's blood. I can find it in the garden. So let me research all the fruits and vegetables that are high in iron. I'll eat them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I'll be fine. And she's, Great. yeah. And she said, <laughs> I'm down. Right. Makes sense. Right. Um, she said, I'm sorry, I've been doing this for 30 years. I have never, ever seen anyone turn around anemia just from eating plants. It's never going to work. I'm so worried for you and your baby. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, give me two weeks. Mm -hmm. Give me two weeks to do my thing. I'll come back and get retested. Then we'll talk. 
um, having really no choice, she agreed. We shook hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I did just that. I researched what fruits and vegetables, nuts and grains were high in iron, and I literally ate them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, I would make big smoothies in my Vitamix with uh, kale and red grapes and bl- blackstrap molasses and pumpkin seeds and red apples and a whole slew of dark leafy greens predominantly, and of course, beets. Um, and two weeks later I went in to get retested and she said that my iron levels were through the roof and I was able to have a successful pregnancy and a very healthy baby, uh, through eating plants. And it just solidified this idea that everything that we need for our bodies, for our health, for our sustenance is in the garden. And what we, what we're doing when we eat animals is animals are eating from the garden and so the animals are eating from the garden and we're eating the animals. We're basically eating the middleman. And mm-hmm. I, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't want to eat the middleman. I want to eat what the animal's eating. If the biggest, fastest, strongest, most powerful animals on this planet are all vegan, then I just want to eat what they're eating. And yes. so now I do. And I've raised three children vegan and they were never sick. As a matter of fact, um, at one point when they were in school, they said to me, it's totally unfair that our friends are missing school left and right. And they're like never there. And we have a hundred percent attendance because we're never sick. And I said, that you know, is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. It's not fair. So I said, you know what we're going to do for your sick day? I'm going to yank you out of school. We're going to go to Disneyland. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. This is your reward for never getting sick. You get Disney. <laughs> yeah. So three or four times a year, they'd play hooky and would go play in Disneyland instead of their friends homesick. Yep. Yeah. I love that. I, I was sick my whole life. I always had, they called it tonsillitis every year. I took massive antibiotics. I was always having the sniffles, everything. As an adult, I never get sick. I have never had COVID. I am just, I, it's not the genes though. People are like, oh, you just have good genes or, oh, it must just must be how you were born. Nope. I was a sickly kid for the first 25 years of my life. Okay. And now I take all my supplements. I get everything I need. As you said, Ellie from the garden, because I believe plants heal. I believe food heals. I believe in nutrition and feeding my body properly. And I feed it a lot of plants and a lot of different colors from the garden. And I only got sick once in the past three years because I had a mold exposure and I think it just got me down. But other than that, like I do not get sick. And I don't say this to brag. I say this because like we don't have to live sickly all of the time, but people are so conditioned to believe that they do. Ellie, I thought it was normal to be sick six times per year. That's not normal. That's We've been conditioned to believe that's normal because of the lifestyles that we lead and because we're all eating McDonald's and exposed to environmental toxins and household toxins and all the crap in our food supply, all the crap you said, you know, originally we're eating the food that animals eat is from the garden, but now it's from the feedlot and it's corn and corn syrup and shit that we don't want to put in our bodies. And so there's no reason for us to be sick all the time. 
Another thing that happened to me, you can tell me your experience, was when I gave up dairy, I never had a pimple again. My face cleared up. I have the best skin. So clearly that was an allergen to me. That was a something my body was not handling or processing. And so giving up these things has changed my life. And I just want to, I want to shout out to the rooftop that food heals and that, you know, animals are, are, are. I don't know what the word is. Like, I want to say like our soul beings, like our soulmates. <laughs> I completely agree with everything that you just said. I, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I ate a lot of cheese and a lot of dairy and I got my period. I, I developed very early and I got my period at 10 years old and I had, mm-hmm. I was very big breasted. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was normal. Lots of pimples, right? Um, mm-hmm. When I had my daughters who were all raised vegan, um, the first one to hit puberty was my stepdaughter. And she, all her friends were developing at nine, 10 years old, getting their periods so early. She didn't get hers until 15 years old. And she never, ever had pimples. But I thought, well, she's my stepdaughter. So that's, she's not genetically connected to me. I wonder what would happen with my second daughter who is biologically um, my daughter. Um, I wonder if she'll have it early like I did. And so sure enough, my second daughter, um, she didn't get it until she was 15. Also, never had any pimples. Um, It's just, it has to do with what we're eating. The only thing that troubles me a little bit about vegan food is (laughs) there's a lot of vegan food companies that are replacing the really crappy Western diet with really crappy vegan food. So if if Americans are typically eating hot dogs and burgers and fries and cookies and ice cream, then now we're just making it all vegan. But listen, a vegan version of anything is going to be healthier. However, the solution isn't to replace a crappy Western diet with a crappy vegan diet. The solution is to start eating healthier really from the garden, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grinds. Every once in a while going to a barbecue and having like a vegan burger or a vegan hot dog. I mean, that's really fun. But I think we need to take a hard look at what we're eating as Americans and not replace it with a vegan crappy version, but replace it with real food. Yes. And so I've had friends argue me this. Well, this person is vegan and they're overweight or they're sick all the time. And I'm like, they're probably eating Oreos. It's not about being vegan. Vegan is now a buzzword and vegan means a lot of things. So I, I prefer to say whole foods, plant-based, or I usually just say I'm plant powered because what does that mean? Most of the time I'm powered by plants. Once in a while, I'm powered by a Beyond Beef burger, right? Like once in a while, I'm powered by some vegan junk food, but in general, I'm powered by plants. And when I make the plants, the majority of my diet, that's when I thrive. When I do eat a bunch of vegan junk food multiple days in a row, I feel it. I know my body. I know myself and I'm grateful. Let me just say this. I am so grateful that plant-based alternatives exist so that people can stop animal factory farming and save the environment that way and save an animal. However, I don't want to eat processed food on my daily diet. So I want to make sure, as I believe you do, that we don't we don't leave behind the garden. We don't leave the plants behind because we're choosing plant-based foods that are still made in a lab, that are still made with chemicals, right? I'm trying to be as chemical-free as I can, and now all the vegan swaps are coming out, which is great. But what are they replacing it with? It's not necessarily something healthy. So I'm with you. Let's eat from the garden as much as possible. I agree. And I had an extraordinary experience once where I had a friend named Joe 
who um, was diagnosed with cancer. And so I immediately went to him and I said, Joe, what's going on? Oh my God, I'm so sorry this is happening. And he's like, yeah, it's stage four. I'm really scared. And I said, Joe, I will take you shopping. I will, ta- I will show you how to cook. I will show yeah. you how to eat raw, whole food, plant-based, vegan. I'm like, we can get this. We can beat this. I know so many people that have made it through cancer with eating the right things. Let me help you. And he said, no, no, I want to I wanna work with my oncologist. I want to go through the path that I'm choosing. I don't think eating plants is going to help me. And I said, okay, Joe, no problem. You know, everybody's got to walk their own path. And I said, Joe, um, if you ever change your mind, I'm here. And yeah. he went through seven years of chemotherapy and radiation and surgeries, and he lost his hair and he lost his teeth and he lost his job. And he was just basically in and out of the hospital or at his apartment feeling ill. Um, and he went in and out of remission. And finally, mm-hmm. at the end of seven years, it came back with a vengeance. And the doctors told him, look, Joe, we've done all we can. There's nothing left for us to try. You need to go get your affairs in order. And so Joe kind of looked at his life and said, you know, I've done a lot of really cool things. I've lived a good life. Um, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with saying goodbye. And so part of the process of saying goodbye was he wanted to kind of make amends to anyone that he'd ever hurt and give appreciation to anyone he'd ever loved. And so he started writing letters to everybody and really cleaning up his affairs. And by the time he had done, he had cleaned up his life so beautifully and he had organized his life so beautifully that at the very last minute he was like, darn it, I don't want to go. I finally made it yeah. good. <laughs> he, all that forgiveness work probably released a lot of really toxic emotions inside of him too, you know? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, he had to, he was forced to look at things that he probably didn't look at for his whole life. And by looking at them and sorting through them, he really cleaned things up to the degree where he was like, oh no, now I don't want to go. So he came to me and he said, look, I'm dying. I cleaned up my affairs. Um, if you want to take me shopping now, it can't hurt because, you know, regardless, I'm going to die. So he's got nothing left to lose. So if this thing has any legs, why not? (laughs) Exactly. So I took him to Whole Foods and this is what I told him. And this is what I want to kind of share with everybody. We are designed to eat rainbows. We are not designed to eat white and brown. The standard Mm. American diet is white flour, white sugar, white salt, and brown meat. And that is not what we're designed to eat. We are designed to eat blues and reds and oranges and yellows and magentas and every single color of the rainbow. And And those are the things that nourish our bodies and heal our bodies and strengthen our bodies. And so I showed Joe how to make stir fries and how to make soups and how to make salads and how to make juices. And we filled his refrigerator with every color in the rainbow. And I got him a juicer and a Vitamix. And okay, then skip forward um, uh, several months. All of a sudden, Joe shows up at my house. And I'm like, Joe, oh my God, what's going on? And he's like, I've got something really exciting to tell you. I said, what? He said, I'm cancer-free. You saved my life. I said, oh my God, that's amazing. And we hugged. We were so excited. Now, the other thing that I didn't tell you yet about Joe is that he was born an epileptic. He, He was born in the hospital. The nurse passed him to his mother, dropped him by accident. And since that day, he's had epilepsy. And so he's never driven a car. He's never had a driver's license. And to come out to the general barn, he always had to have somebody drive him. Wow. So after hugging and crying and dancing and rejoicing about his cancer-free diagnosis, finally, I said, well, come on in the house. Uh, Where's the person that drove you? They should come in too. 
And he said, I drove myself. And I said, haha, that's funny. And he said, no, I'm not joking. And I said, what are you talking about, Joe? And he points to a red sports car. And he said, that's my car. And I said, Joe, what are you talking about? And he proudly takes out his wallet and shows me his driver's license. Um, he's in his 60s. And it's the first time he's ever had a driver's license in his life. And he said, not wow. only did the way that you taught me how to eat cure my cancer, but it cured my epilepsy too. And I'm now off of all medication. I've got a fancy sports car and a brand new driver's license for the first time in my life. And this was 11 years ago and he is still growing strong. Ellie, how many times are you going to give me chills? Oh my God. (laughs) All my hairs are standing up. I love this story so much. What a beautiful testament to the power of plants and the power of belief and the power of forgiveness. Because when he made that decision to write all those letters and say, you know, here's where I went wrong. Here's why I'm grateful for you. That healed as much as the food, I bet. You know what I mean? And so it's just like, when you put those together, you heal the trauma, you heal the emotions, you heal the relationships in your life, and you heal your body, your physical body through the power of food. There's no stopping us. That is the cure for cancer. And I am not allowed to say that because I get canceled, but it's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. Yeah. Well, what a beautiful story. If he ever wants to come on Food Heals, those are the stories I love to share as well. Um, And the epilepsy, I mean, that's incredible too. And I've had stories like that where people have been told, you will have this condition that you were born with or whatever for the rest of your life. And you'll probably have to take these drugs for the rest of your life and you'll be suffering for the rest of your life. And people have completely healed and reversed their conditions through food, through nutrition, through cleansing. When my father had cancer, I was just waking up to the stuff. I think like you, Ellie, I didn't know what a vegan yet was yet. I was definitely vegetarian, but I didn't know what a vegan was yet. But I met with a holistic doctor um, who said, yes, stage four cancer. I have seen reversed. Here's the protocol. Um, it was liver cancer protocol. And it was this, just this cleanse of vegetable juice and garlic and all these things. Now I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, Ellie. These shakes were disgusting. I would make these shakes for my dad. I didn't want to drink them, but I was trying to force him to drink them because I was like, these will heal you. These will heal you. And he sat me down and he said, I don't believe in this. And because I don't believe in this, it's not going to work for me. Mm. And the hardest thing I ever had to do was accept his decision. Mm. But that is the learning lesson, I think, of my life. And it also goes back to your friend's story. It's because my father made a decision, right? He said, I don't believe in this, so it's not going to work for me. My father did not want to heal his trauma I took him to cranial sacral. I made him cry a little bit. He was like, I'm never doing that again. He didn't want to face his trauma. (laughs) We didn't know about the cow hugs yet, you know? Um, And then your friend said, I'm going to make this decision and, and it can't hurt me. It can only help me. And then it helped. And he had already cleared all of his conscience. He had already done all of the hard work emotionally. So the food, it creates the space for the food to heal because you've made that decision. And I think that is sometimes the missing piece because like we can eat plants all day long, but if we're not healing the traumas and vice versa, we can heal the traumas all day long. But if we're eating McDonald's, like all these things go hand in hand, right? That is so true. And that must've been really, really hard for you to know the solutions and know the answers and know that you can't choose life or happiness or health for anyone else but yourself. It must've been really hard to let them go. 
oh, yeah, it's the hardest thing I've ever been through. And that's why I do this show, because I don't want what happened to my family, to both of my parents who lost their lives, to cancer, um, which I believe was completely preventable and reversible, but I didn't know that in my mother's case at the time. I barely knew it in my father's case, but I don't want it to happen to anyone else. This is unnecessary suffering, you know? We can heal our bodies. We can heal ourselves. But we got to get educated. We got to get motivated, you know? And most people in our case, we weren't educated. And then when I finally got educated, I realized I can only help myself and the people who want to listen, who want to hear my message. And I can't change anyone else. So I stopped chasing people down to tell them I can help you. And they now they can come to me if they want help. And if not, I have to let them live their lives. Yeah, yeah. That's something that I had to do in the gentle barn because people come, they spend the day with the animals, they fall in love, they learn the information, yeah. they hear the animals' backstories, they're aware of the issues. And once they walk out of the doors of the gentle barn, it is no longer my business whether they're going to go vegan or not. I have to bless them on their way. Their journey is their own and none of my business. And I have to lose attachment to the outcome. And it's really, yeah. really hard. But I can't imagine doing that with my own father. That must have been really hard for you. Yeah, it was. I, I, I remember the day he told me that I sat there for a long time and we like we didn't speak and he was reading the paper and I was just sitting there and I was like, what are you going to do to myself? Like, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. uh, because you're either going to have guilt there, your whole life that you didn't save him or you're going to have grace that you let him live his life his way and die his way. Mm. And I had to choose grace and I have to choose grace over guilt all the time, to be frank, because I'm like, you should have saved him. You know, there's that inner monologue we have, but the older I get, the more and more I'm able to accept, like that was his decision and it had nothing to do with you and it's not your fault, you know? And so that's one of the traumas that I need to go see the cows for and hug them. And that's why I hug the dogs so they can help me through those dark times of sadness and missing them and grief and blame and all of that stuff. Mm. So I definitely am with you. And um, I believe in the healing power of nutrition and the healing power of animals. Food Heals Nation, on this show, we often talk about the power of nature, the power of food, the power of adaptogens to heal. Today, I want to talk about how nature's amazing ingredients can enhance our mental clarity and our overall well-being. Specifically, let's delve into the incredible health benefits of the ingredients found in RISE. RISE is a nootropic formulated by Cured Nutrition's in-house clinical herbalist. So, First up, we have lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms. Lion's mane is known for promoting mental clarity and providing a natural energy boost, while cordyceps supports oxygen utilization, making it a go-to for many endurance athletes. With these two powerhouses combined, you can expect an increase in your focus, improving your cognitive function, and helping sustain your energy throughout your day. Now let's talk about some of the other ingredients like rhodiola, ginseng, and broad-spectrum CBD. So rhodiola and ginseng are adaptogens that have been used for centuries to enhance cognition and combat fatigue. So they work together synergistically to sharpen your mind, improve your memory, and support your overall mental performance. But what sets Rise apart is the inclusion of the CBD. This is the cannabinoid that helps balance the supplement, ensuring that you experience the benefits of all those ingredients combined without any overstimulation or crashes. It is a game changer when it comes to maintaining 
and sustaining mental clarity and avoiding jitters and crashes, which we've all experienced with some of those other supplements. So check out Rise and all of your other favorite supplements over at curednutrition.com. Use the coupon code FOODHEALS at checkout and you'll save 20% off your order. And if you're having trouble sleeping, you can check out their sleep products as well, like their Zen, their CBN night oil, and more. Again, it's all over at curednutrition.com, coupon code FOODHEALS to save 20% off your order. Last question before we wrap up and we find out everywhere they can follow you and stalk you online. Mm-hmm. What do you say, because I'm guessing this happens to you um, as a plant-based person, it certainly happens to me and most people I know. When people maybe are a little combative or just questioning you in a way that they don't believe. So I know some of the big questions are, well, where do you get your protein? Or God put animals on this earth for humans to eat, and that's the food chain. How do you respond to some of that? I would love to hear, because I know you are a gentle approach person, as am I, and we're not combative, but sometimes combative people come at us. And I know I'm like, I'll kill you with kindness until you stop yelling at me about me. <laughs> um, but what's your approach and what is what are some of the things that you say and maybe you've helped change some people's minds? Yeah, well, my approach is that this propaganda that we need protein was published by the meat industry, <laughs> number one. Yes, yes. <laughs> Number one. Number two, we don't need a fraction of the protein that the meat industry is saying that we need, number two. Number three, there's protein in every fruit and vegetable, nut and grain, quinoa, broccoli, kale, beans and rice, lentils, all of those things are very, very full and high of protein. So in all the fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grains that I'm eating, I'm getting plenty of protein. And then I guess my last statement would be, look, I'm 55 years old. I've been vegan for 24 years and vegetarian since I was 11. I am strong. I am healthy. I wake up at the crack of dawn. I work 16-hour days. Um, I have plenty of energy. I'm not on any medication, which most of the women my age are. Um, I think my lifestyle speaks for itself that I've done just fine and I'm definitely not protein deficient. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like people have been brainwashed for so long by the propaganda and who sponsors this media and these studies? Well, follow the money and you'll find out. I remember when I had a, um, it was a, a a chiropractor and his wife did applied kinesiology uh, to me and I was uh, still on my journey of awakening, but I was not awake yet at all. Um, and I and she said, oh, you have a dairy allergy. You need to give up dairy. And I said, milk does my body good. That's what the milk mustache ads told me. I believed it, Ellie. Yeah. I was probably 20. I believed it. I understand that people believe this with all their heart and soul because that's all they've ever known. I grew up drinking skim milk because that was the skinny milk that you were supposed to drink to lose weight. I mean, what kind of garbage was put into my head, you know? Fat-free. I grew up, you don't eat fat, so I wouldn't touch an avocado. Yeah. Because it has fat in it. It's going to make me fat. These were the beliefs that I held on to. So I get it. I understand. But then you wake up and you find out we've been lied to. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting 
When you go into a used car lot, you know they're trying to sell you. So you need to use your own intelligence and find out facts for yourself. When you're going into a clothing store, they're trying to sell you. You need to figure out what you want, what you don't want, and have the guts to walk out if nothing fits you. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, you walk into the grocery store and the meat industry says you have to eat meat and the dairy industry says you have to drink milk and all of a sudden, they're virtuous and they care about us. No, they're trying to sell us. The industry of America, you know, every country, every region has their own industry. Some industries are cotton. Some industries are oil. Some industries are, I don't know what. The industry of America is meat. It's it's almost like, you know, they came here and the buffalo was there and they started slaughtering and murdering off the buffalo. And then they said, you know, raising buffalo or cattle, it's really, really easy. It costs absolutely nothing to feed them because they'll eat those weeds. All they need is water. They grow really fast. They get really big. And then you just kill them and make money. It's a business. It's an industry. They're trying to sell us. Mm-hmm. And I also think that health doesn't make money. You know, if everybody was healthy and and wonderful and thriving, the pharmaceutical company wouldn't make any money. I think that illness makes money. I think that selling people a certain product to eat or drink makes money. And I don't think any they are going to fix it for us. I don't think anyone is going to fix it for us. I don't think they're going to change laws. I don't think the politicians are going to change anything. It's up to the individual. And each of us individuals, we have the choice. Are we going to sleepwalk through life or are we going to awaken and take the power back to our own lives? Are we going to face the truth? Are we going to stand on the side of peace or cruelty? Are we going to stand on the side of well-being and freedom for every living creature or for violence and cruelty? Are we going to support suffering? Are we going to support loving, beauty, and well-being? Every single one of us makes that choice every single solitary day. With whatever we buy, whatever we eat, wherever we go, we are always making that decision. And for me, I want to be the fully, I want to be the most awake I can possibly be. I want to stare at the truth of every issue and I want to find out where I lay in those issues. I want my life to be spent creating peace and joy and freedom and love and well-being for every living being. And I want to know after this lifetime is over that I caused no suffering, that I caused well-being wherever I went. Um, I want to share this planet with living creatures. I don't want to exploit them to get ahead. I want to build community instead of just the success of one individual. That's me. And I think all of us need to decide for ourselves where we stand. And that's fine. But for me personally, being vegan, eating from the garden, loving these animals, sharing their stories with other people, I am grateful every single solitary day that this gets to be my life. Well, mic drop, Ellie. That was so beautiful and eloquent. And I personally couldn't agree with you more. So I love everything you just said. I can't wait to go back and listen to this entire episode. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your work today, for sharing your heart. Everything's over at gentlebarn.org. Ellie, where else can people follow you on social, stalk you online, get all the goods from you? Yeah. So we're on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, We're on all social media platforms. They can just find it by looking at The Gentle Barn. And my book, My Gentle Barn, is anywhere books are sold. I just remembered. I forgot to tell the funniest story to you. Um, Yes, get the book, everyone. Um, That Did you know 
that I saw your video and it was either on Instagram or TikTok. I can't remember. And it was like, if you donate this much, you buy them a bag of carrots. If you donate this much, blah, blah, blah. And it was the cutest video of all the animals. And I donated. And then a week later, someone from your team just happened to reach out and say, hi, we would love for you to interview the gentle bar. And I was like, I love them. I just found them on social and donated. Like I had, we had no connection. It was just so serendipitous. I was Whoa. like, that is so cool. <laughs> and it's so a Venmo. Cool. So it's no way, there's no way you guys like found me after that. Cause it's just a Venmo, right. That I Venmo for the donation. Right. Yeah. I just think it's one of those quote unquote coincidences. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm so glad that it worked out the way that it did. So food heals nation, Check out Ellie at gentlebarn.org, ellielax.com. Follow The Gentle Barn on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Ellie, I'm going to come and visit you very soon when you're here in Nashville. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for all the beautiful work that you do. I hope you do come and hug one of our cows. I'd love to have you. Lord knows I need to hug a cow. (laughs) Thanks for being here, Ellie. (laughs) Okay. See you soon. Food Heals Nation, have you heard about the new special from our friends at Organifi? I don't know how long this is going to last, so go check it out right now. Of course, you know it's all over at OrganifiShop.com slash Food Heals. Right now, you can get Pure for free, a 30 count of travel packs when you purchase the Sunrise to Sunset Kit. Plus, you get my 20% off, as always, plus you get free shipping. So again, that is the Sunrise to Sunset Kit, which includes the green juice, the red juice, and the gold, which is the perfect way to get your nutrition in throughout your day. It's three simple steps to transform your entire day with your detoxifying morning reset, that's the green juice, an afternoon energy boost, that's the red juice, and a nighttime relaxation tea, and that of course is the Organifi Gold, and that tastes like, to me, a turmeric tea latte. I love it. I swear by it. I live by it. You know this. So again, head on over to OrganifiShop.com slash foodheals and purchase the Sunrise to Sunset Kit. You're going to get free pure travel packs, 30 counts. So 30 counts, you can take those pure on the road with you and you're going to save 20% off your order, of course, because you got the coupon code foodheals plus free shipping. If you want to learn more about Organifi, I went straight to the source for you. Here is a clip from my interview with May Steigler, CEO of Organifi. Roll it, Roxy. Food Heals Nation, she is passionate about redefining personal well-being. That's right. It's the CEO of Organifi, May Steigler, here to answer your questions about Organifi. <laughs> it's like my favorite intro, by the way. If you could always sing my name. <laughs> oh, I will. People know I like to do, I do like the Oprah thing by accident. I don't know why. I don't know where I picked it up from, but like I sing people's names. Okay. It's wonderful. Anyways, <laughs> thank you. So May, from the greens to the reds, to the raspberry lemonade, to the chocolates, to the turmeric flavored powders, how do these Organifi products get these delicious flavors without adding a bunch of crap? Like, you know, like it, 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 so often we know that things taste good because there's all these added sugars and things we don't want to put in our body, especially when we're trying to be healthy. So I would love to hear how you formulate the flavors and what is your favorite flavored product that you just can't live without? <laughs> so three key things, lots of product iteration and product development. So we take our time with ensuring that 
what we make tastes amazing. You know, we are consumers of it ourselves. My family is. I will hear it if things don't taste good. Um, and uh, it's all whole food based. So we do not use synthetic vitamins or um, anything that is not whole food based in the product. So it really comes down to ingredient quality. And we take sourcing incredibly seriously, all organic, glyphosate residue free, um, top quality ingredients, just as if you were to go to if you were to go to a great restaurant you'd get great tasting food because of um, their quality sourcing of ingredients. And simple dishes don't need lots of salt and sugar to taste great. Same as our formulation. So we use really high quality sourced ingredients. We take a lot of care in doing that. And the blends of these whole foods are designed to taste great naturally. And so while the only sweetener that we use only in some products is monk fruit, which is actually um, still a whole food. And it's focused on um, the benefit is not being uh, a blood sugar spiking sugar and mm -hmm. a really, really healthy one for those that are concerned with metabolic uh, disorders, diabetes and blood sugar control in general. And we use that really sparingly. So we really focus on adding mint, um, lemon, um, raspberry, uh, really bright, uh, really well formulated ingredients, almost like recipes instead is how we look at it. It's a really key part of what makes our products taste delicious and something that we really pride ourselves with and taking the time and care to do well. And then you asked what my favorite products are, and this rotates a lot. Um, and I will say that my absolute favorite are pure and red, and I love blending the two of them. And I do that mm. mix as a pre-workout uh, for my pickleball playing that I do all the time. Um, and so it's my favorite <laughs> pre-workout combo right now, really bright and lemony um, between the two of those products. And I love the Pure for the mental cognitive support. Uh, it actually has some clinical research uh, on the key ingredient, um, coffee berry, and it helps with improving reaction speed. So really great for sport performance. And I love blending that with the red. It just, I literally mix it. I don't blend this, by the way. I mix it in a shaker bottle, uh, just shaking mm -hmm. it up. And the red for the beets for circulation. So improve circulation while exercising. And of course, the cordyceps and rhodiola for endurance and energy without needing to take a pre-workout or, or caffeine or anything in the afternoon. Those are my two favorite right now. And the taste delicious. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to have to try that combo of combining them. And I'll, I just have to share my favorites with you um, is I love the gold because it tastes like a turmeric tea. Yes. And oh my gosh, uh, not, to not to mention the health benefits, but just on flavor alone, that one, the Harmony chocolate and the um, raspberry lemonade flavor of Glow, I would say those are my top three flavor profiles that I, I crave. Like my body is like, Where, I, need, I need my raspberry lemonade. I need my chocolate. Like I'm so excited and can't live without them. And so good post dinner. So our, our favorite evening routine is, uh, you know, a cup of gold after dinner instead of having a kind of dessert cravings. And then you can swap in harmony for that as like a healthy hormone balancing hot cocoa instead. So good and great for beating cravings post meal and just as like a beautiful evening routine. I love it. Amazing. All right, Food Heals Nation. Well, go get your Organifi. Of course, you get 20% off as a member of our beloved Food Heals Nation. That's all at OrganifiShop.com slash Food Heals. Thank you, May. 
These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to actually start using their $39.99 a month gym membership. If you experience any of these symptoms, Snapchat your trainer immediately.